You've just entered a safe, relaxed, and open forum where you can allow your imagination to take you places you normally dare not go. Welcome to The Fourth Dimension with Toby C., where we discuss evil resistance in the early efforts of sobriety. Here's Toby. I'm back. Back with a vengeance. Don B., welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Like every show, we're going to be talking about God, but most importantly, we're going to be talking about the the antithesis of God. We're going to be talking about evil resistance that so many of us experience in early recovery. And if, if this is your first time joining us uh, as a listener out there, it's not Don's first time, but it's, um, again... You know, this buds for you, listeners, especially the newcomer out there, that we're going to be talking about uh, evil resistance, the crazy stuff that happens to so many of us in early recovery that maybe we blame on bad timing, bad luck, his fault, her fault, God's fault, our fault. You know what I'm talking about? But we're missing somebody. We're missing a player in the blame game. And again, not to blame the devil but to at least be aware that uh, he, the fallen angel, the dark angel, might be a participant. How about that, Don, for, a, for an opening salvo? What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you believe in, uh, in evil, Don? Do you believe in uh, uh, that there is darkness out there that wants to, to trip us up uh, when, we, when we try to move toward the light, something that maybe mysteriously tries to pull us back into the darkness? What do you think? I do believe that. Um, I always say, don't walk towards the light. Yeah. You're from Northern California? I'm from Northern California, yeah, yes. The Petaluma area or that area, yeah. Any religious uh, background, any training in, in, in theology, or were you dragged to Sunday school? or uh, what's, What was your experience with God growing up? Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, my parents never took me to church, so I ended up going with the people that lived down the street, um, and I did like church at that time, but no church in our family, um, no. Wow, very similar to my my experience. I kind of found uh, contact with, with some spiritual God on my own, for sure, for sure. But nonetheless, you know, you you hit your bottom. Like so many of us in recovery, that's why we're doing this show with you to talk about some of the bumps in the road you hit at the bottom when you tried to get off the bottom, when you tried to move toward that God, that God of your understanding. Like so many of us, Don, did you have that God help me moment? I did. I was uh, at a church in Lancaster, California, and uh, very high up in the church. They had asked me to be in a play um, called The Living Lord's Supper, um, and what they didn't know was is that I was addicted to some extracurricular stuff and that even though I was portraying John on this play, it was really not as good as it seemed. Um, and in the very last play, I actually gave my heart to God because I realized what I was doing to my family and to my life, um, standing on a street corner in the middle of Rosamond waiting for some drugs to show up. That's about as bad as it gets when you're down, and then you're going to the play to p- portray John in a, a church play. It's pretty, pretty much at your bottom. 
that wasn't the end of the story, but that is about how I got here, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, wow, what a bottom to be, uh, to make a mockery out of the Last Supper, you know? And what a, what a humbling moment. Uh, did you experience shame during that moment, a deep sense of shame? I cried from that shame, yeah. and the people did not realize that my tears were real. Yeah. That, that soliloquy was from my own heart. Yeah. And yeah, that was between me and, and my higher power. Yes, for so, sure. So that was, that was your God help me moment, wasn't it? It was. Maybe you didn't scream out on your knees in the middle of a barren desert half naked, God help me, but that was your God help me moment. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. You made a decision at that point really to get better. And um, had you been in rehab already before, before this episode, or, or were you ready to get into to rehab and, um, and join the family, so to speak? I was actually in rehab before that. Um, haven't mentioned that, but... Um... <laughs> I ended up at Tarzana Treatment Center back in 1995 in Lancaster for the same reasons. Um, it didn't stick, but yeah. that's, that's the way that was. Right. Oh. And was, uh, was alcohol your, your uh, only vice? Was alcohol abuse and alcoholism your only vice, or was there another player involved? There was other players involved. Yes, there were multiple yeah. players, Yeah. unfortunately. Was the devil possibly... Uh, a player in, uh, in this misery? Uh, they asked me at the church to lead a, an adult group, and I tried to convince them that I was not the person because I knew at that time that the devil had a part of me, and I shouldn't be bringing that in, but they didn't want to hear from me. So I ended up trying to teach that class despite knowing what I was doing was completely wrong. Showing up loaded to teach an adult uh, class at church, and that's not such a wise idea. Yeah, yeah. Many men have fallen from that spot. But the devil was the one, I believe, he was the one. He was sitting there pulling my strings. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know at that time what an addict or being addicted to something was. So, But they they thought I was bipolar. Mm. (laughs) By the way, did the devil come in the form of a devil in a blue dress with a crystal meth attached? It did. Tell us about that. I was working, and I found a little baggie one day. And um, it had a little white substance in there. And I remember from 20 years ago um, when I was helping this band out about this stuff. And sure enough, I tried it. And it was was about a year, year and a half before I finally was able to get off of that just from finding something. You did sound engineering for a, a a rock band, a legendary rock band at, at one time. Was that your was that your introduction to uh, not only alcohol abuse but crystal meth? Uh, yes, it was, and we I have videos from us in the in the studio and in the our practice area, and that's what we used to do. We used to sit there and get high and do stuff and play and drink and, drink and oh, we brought always brought a case of beer to the to the practice. Of course, I mean, who needs water when you got beer? Beer with a kick, malt liquor. A beer was easier to get then, too. Yeah, yeah, it was. Just a reminder that, you know, we're talking about evil resistance during early recovery with Don B. today. And, um, you know, I'm Toby C. I'm, I'm the host currently of this show. And um, the show's called The Fourth Dimension for a reason. 
because uh, uh, very interesting things happen outside of uh, the the comprehension of our, our three-dimensional world. And um, I've heard of the term rocketed into the fourth dimension, and sometimes something sinister and dark and evil is waiting for us in the fourth dimension, isn't it, Don? Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm. So um, <clears throat> any, any distractions uh, early on, maybe in your first year recovery, really trying to get... Uh, Trying to you know, trying to get calm, trying to calm down, trying to have singleness of purpose uh, with your primary cause. Any distractions like uh, any farming? In the first of my recovery, the first thing that happened was I went to the store. <laughs> After about thirty days, they let me out, and all of a sudden, there's this big gigantic stand of vodka. Well, I think that was from the devil right there. He was throwing it at me because he wanted me to go ahead and drink. Um, I wasn't going to do that, but I ended up at a um, my aunt's house. Um, I couldn't stand living with other people, so I ended up there. Um, and she had me move this pile of wood from one place to another, huge pile of wood. But in doing that, I'm about <clears throat> 300 yards away from the road, maybe even farther. You can just hear the traffic. And all of a sudden, I kick something, and there is a full bottle of Hornitos tequila. I mean, that's not all. It's not broken. It seals perfect. What could I do with that? Well, my mind immediately goes to, let's pop that baby open. And then I started to think about, <laughs> I just went through hell to get to this point. You only had about two or three months at that point, didn't you, when you ran across that bottle of tequila two in the forest? Two months. Two months, just and, barely. Um, you know, I mean, it's, I, I do believe in coincidence. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, you know, if you're wandering across the earth, you're probably going to come across some interesting trash. Okay, let's admit it. But, but, did you like tequila? Was that was that that was that one of your favorite liquors when you were getting all uh, jacked up and liquored up? Some of my guys really loved tequila and would tell me about this uh, stuff. So I really liked tequila because it had a pretty good burn when it went down. Um, but unfortunately, that burn I think was <laughs> a little bit more. Harmful to the body than I was dreaming of. Yeah, yeah. In the wow. long run. Let's kind of, you know, there's there's so many ghost stories we have with Don today. But let's again, let's back up a little bit about your experience at uh, this place called Azure Acres. And um, um, what a what a sanctity, uh, what a sanctuary of, of peace and recovery and love and hope. And, and it helps so many people. But what happened, Don? What happened? I went to Azure Acres under duress, but um, I have about five family members that have been through there. Um, and it was a safe place to go. And it was a great place to go. I gained weight. However, I do remember when I walked in the door, if you can remember what Nick Nolte looked like when he got pulled over, um, he had his hair out about like this. Oh, yeah, it's a great mug shot. Great poor, mug. Poor, that poor, yeah, poor that was me, my exact same picture. They gave me the picture, and I keep, I've kept it in case I ever want to look at it again, which I don't because I have it in my mind. There you go. And then I watched the people come through that door, and they looked exactly the same way. And I said, I'm not going to be what Doomsday Dave there said, that only 10% of the people in here will make it. I said I was going to be the one. I am going to be the one. I didn't make it. Yeah. You know, 
I'd like to make a point from from my experience in recovery. <clears throat> that recovery involves changing our message. Wouldn't you agree, Don, about changing our inner message, our, our testimony, our, our outward message, how we communicate with people? And <clears> that this change is almost a form of hip, it's a hypnotic, uh, psychic change. They, they've, they've, they refer to it, they, the people in the 12-step movement, refer to this as an entire psychic change. <clears throat> a brainwashing, if you will. A, uh, a change in perception, if you will. I happen to know a little bit about hypnosis, or I've read a little bit about it. And, and one of the tenets of hypnosis, with, with very few exceptions, is we cannot hypnotize somebody into a train of thought unless they are willing. You talked about going into this rehab under duress. Ah, there it is. The fight was on. Okay, we're going to be right back with Don B., more to come on uh, his ghost stories, and he's got some doozies. We're talking about evil resistance that so many of us experience in early recovery. I'm Toby C., the fourth dimension. We'll be right back. the imagination to take us places we might be afraid to go. You are entering the fourth dimension with Toby C. There is no such thing as coincidences. Here's Toby. Okay. Check this out. You know, I always like these little one-liners that the existence of the devil is not to be demonstrated here it is to be believed and that's all we're doing is mashing out some ghost stories here right right don for the purpose of not demonstrating evil but sharing our testimony about the existence of evil and and one thing that we touched on in uh, uh earlier was that um was that the devil can be a distraction one of my favorite uh, sayings that I've heard is this, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, okay? And he'll get you distracted doing things that you're not supposed to be doing with people that you're not supposed to be with in places that you're not supposed to be. Right, Don? I believe that true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about some other farming experiences, Don. At the same place at my aunt's, um, at that time, the Santa Rosa area had a huge fire, um, and it just happened to be rolling right past where my aunt lived in the Napa Valley there. Um, some people she had agreed to let grow marijuana on the area had a couple hundred plants there. And believe it or not, they left them. I was put down to stay with my aunt, and I came across the little area where the plants were. And Don's devious mind went to work. Th Wait a second. This is almost as good as finding that bottle of Ornitos in the forest. These guys abandoned a mini pot farm, and you were sent down there to go take care of it. 
and you're in early recovery, you got like a year. This is you're in your first year, and yes, and was this a distraction, Don? It was a distraction almost every single moment because when my aunt wasn't there, I was out in the field, and um, I thought I could see dollar signs. So I was out there harvesting and snipping and drying, and I had places. And I would put it in my trunk, and I would be driving to my meetings with a trunk full of marijuana because where could I dry it and have her not find that I was doing it because she wouldn't be agreeable to that. Mm-hmm. She already said I couldn't smoke anything in the house. So, yeah, that was a tough one, trying to take it back up to where I was from, up by Yosemite. And I couldn't even give it away, believe it or not, because I finally decided I can't just continue to keep smoking. I'm going to meetings on Wednesday nights up there. Mm-hmm. And... I can't be doing that. So I'm giving it away. People don't even want to take it. I've got three pounds of marijuana and I can't give it away because it was smoke damaged. How interesting. Ooh, it was smoke damaged. Well, you know, I want to just back up for a minute. The distraction, let's go back to the distraction of this little mini pot farm that you were put in charge of on your aunt's burned property in Napa Valley, okay, after a fire 20 years ago or whenever it was. All right. Your motivation wasn't really to give this marijuana away. It was your motivation was not to sit there and smoke it to eternity. Your motivation was money. Out of the seven deadlies, you know, right there, what do you think was it was was the overriding um, motivation? I think the over, overriding motivation was the fact that I didn't have what I wanted. And I think that that was a way that I could get it. Ah, envy. Yeah. Envy we're talking about. What about greed? Oh, it was greedy. What about greed? I thought I could make thousands of dollars on that. I couldn't figure out how to get it to the dispensaries. That was when the dispensaries were just opening. I thought, oh, this is my big cash crop. There it is. You know, I've heard it said that money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. You were concentrating on something other than um, a selfless, um, altruistic, uh, uh, unlimited objectives. You know, uh, you know. Welcome to humanity. Nobody's perfect. Okay, I get it. But we clearly can can see that this was a distraction. Was this distraction from God, or was this distraction from something other than God, Don? I'm pretty sure it was not from God. Um, to be able to go to meetings and sit there and spout all the good stuff like joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and then you go home and you're taking care of the marijuana farm and it just doesn't work together with God. That is the devil and he's got himself in you. He's not going to let go. He doesn't want you to think about any of those things that are opposite of pride, anger, envy, greed, sloth, and gluttony. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to know peace. He doesn't want you to know joy. He wants to break apart you, your family, and your life. Amen on that. I've heard people say that the devil is not only cunning, baffling, and powerful, but patient and deadly. And I take exception to those last two words. I don't think the devil is patient. I think the devil wants to tempt me, and he wants me now. And I don't think that Satan is... I don't think that Satan is deadly. See, that would be the, the easy way out. I think Satan wants to keep me in a living hell. Can you can you dig that, Don? What do you think? Yes? 
I don't think he wants to let go, and he has unlimited resources and unlimited power out there. All right. When we come back with, with Don, um, we're going to relate recovery you know, to a golf game, if you can believe that, you know. Life is like a golf game, and, and um, you know, some of us, you know, have a pretty lousy short game. We're going to be right back with a scratch golfer who seems to have uh, a few more horror stories under his belt in early recovery. What do you think of that? Toby C., name of the show is The Fourth Dimension, mashing it out with Don B., Making sense out of nonsense. Making you as curious and uncomfortable as possible with the truth. You've landed in the fourth dimension with Toby C. The fourth dimension with Don B, baby. Yeah, yeah, talking about uh, the evil one. Old Scratch, whatever you want to call him. And, um, you know, and quite often, Don, don't we open ourselves up to this evil resistance when we engage in 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 one of the seven deadly sins or multiple seven deadly sins? We already touched on the fact that maybe there is some envy going on and some greed, okay, in this pot, you know, farm, mini pot farm, lonely pot farm experience. I might add, it sounds like there it was you. He kept saying, I tried to give it away. I didn't hear we. And there it is, you know. Um, you you had a couple of other really difficult moments. Um, you know, like about, you know, you found your sponsor in bed with a bottle, man. You know. What kind of message was that? Why don't you tell us about that experience, Don? My sponsor's name was Stan, and he was an amazing human being. He could play guitar and write songs, and he was so easygoing and so instrumental in my recovery. He was teaching a class called Emotional Sobriety, and I was assisting him for six months. And um, I knew his story. I knew he'd been living in the bushes. Um, for a long time, but he achieved what he had and he was leading this meeting. I actually asked him to be my sponsor and that's how I ended up helping him. And one morning when I got there to set up for the meeting, it wasn't down there, it wasn't set up. So I went up, knocked on his door and there he was in bed and I couldn't figure out until I saw that he had a bottle laying next to him. About uh, two thirds of it was gone. And I got to tell you, that was a real head problem for me right at that exact second. I, I lost it. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Boy, what a confusing message. You, you didn't even have an, uh, a year. You had about, what, seven or eight months? About eight months, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and just when you think you're getting some traction, you're, you know, and you're moving in the right direction, this mentor, this person that you looked up to, this person that was supposedly holding the, the guiding light, the lantern of, of hope, and recovery 
was hanging out in bed with the devil. And, and, and you witnessed his humanity, but it confused you. And, and after the confusion, Don, were you disappointed? Or did you move into anger? Or what was the feeling? What was going on there? Actually, I think I was more sorry. I was very disappointed, but I think I was just more sorry. I wanted to cry, actually. Um, but I did the meeting, and I got through the meeting, and I went up, and I got him. I got his girlfriend over there, and she did get him to, to rehab. Um, the, the hard part about it is that Don's ego was in the way, and Don had a mission. He wanted to get back up to the lake where his girlfriend was, and everything was honky-dory. And I was on track to do that in about a week. Um, but here's my sponsor laid out, and he's in charge of the meeting. Um, so I did do the meeting for the next couple weeks. A very difficult time for me, though. And I left him there, and he did not make it. He died. He died. Did you drink or use over it, Don? I did not. Um, only because when I found out, I was drinking. So it didn't. It wasn't like I started drinking because of that. I was already lost when I got down here to the area. Yeah. Wow. Then you had another experience, um, another confusing experience with a, uh, a sponsor at a grocery store of all places. I mean, what's, you know, what's going on with this? Um, these, little, these little subtle, but they're not godly experiences, and, and they're certainly not tests from God. They're, they're, they're meant to discourage you. And, and again, you know, you got, you make a little traction, you witness something. What's going on? Describe it. I managed to make it home to where my girlfriend was and the house that I wanted to live on this lake. It was a beautiful place. And um, the first thing that I did was the smartest thing that I did was to go and check in at a meeting. So I started going on every Wednesday night. They only have one meeting in this area. What lake is it, if I may ask? Um, it's called Pine Mountain Lake, yeah. uh, Groveland, California. They've got the oldest bar in California, if you ever are interested in going there. <laughs> anyway, so I checked in, and after about three months, I'm standing in line at the uh, store getting a Coke and a donut. I don't remember what I was getting. And in front of me is the leader of the meeting, and he's got a 12-pack. And I'm like, uh, and he says, oh, it's for my wife. And I'm like, hmm. I'm an alcoholic. You're not telling me. I know it's not the truth. Why She can go get her own beer. He's buying beer because he got caught. He's going to say no because the first thing you do when you get caught is to lie. Say, oh, it's not mine. That's the very first thing that you always do. Never admit to anything that's wrong. The devil says that. Did this experience discourage you? It discouraged me pretty well. Um, I stopped going to some of the Wednesday meetings. Um, I did get a job that was working overnight. I used that as an excuse. So you disconnected from the meeting really as, as a result of this experience. Just, I mean, it is what it is. And, and um, can you correlate, you know, uh, the cause and effect? Sure. You were a little, you know, why bother, right? There was something that told you, to, to push back, to, to, to hit the brakes a little bit on this meeting. And that wasn't God, was it, Don? Mm, I believe not, because I haven't been back. Yeah, yeah. The disconnection from this meeting, were you able to stay sober? Um, or or did, you, did this disconnection 
as a result of this confusing and disappointing uh, experience and observation take you out? It uh, didn't take me out right away. It was a few weeks. But it did take me out because I said, you know what? If the leader of the meeting's drinking, I can drink too. Yeah. Pretty easy, but that wasn't, that wasn't God talking. And again, it didn't happen right away. But would you agree, Don, that the drunk starts long before the first drink sometimes? That maybe you were drunk the moment you, you witnessed this thing and you were sad and you were disappointed. And, and, and you don't need any more loss and tragedy and recovery. You need some hope and you need some success stories. And here was another uh, perceived failure, okay? Remember, our disease is, a, is, is a, a disease of perception. The problem with the alcoholic centers in his mind. So we're not going to go ahead and sit here and debate whether or not he legitimately was buying alcohol or not. It was your perception and how it affected you and disappointed you. And that, that effect and disappointment was not God. It was a discouraging, evil intercession, wasn't it? I believe so. And you finally drank. And I finally drank. It was easier that way. Almost gave it like a positive green light. Takes the edge off. Come on, let's a little pressure out. Hey, you know, again, I just want to make sure that, that we stay within the lanes of, of our topic here. We're talking about evil resistance that so many of us experienced during early recovery. And we're here today with our guest, Don B. The name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. I'm Toby C., your, your host. And again, we're talking about the things that take men and women young and old, that take us out, that say it's just not worth getting over compulsive shopping or gambling or deviant sex fueled by meth quite often, whatever, or alcohol abuse or opioid abuse or, or amphetamines or, I mean, we can just, the list can go on and on and on. But when we try to get better, something happens. Something happens. You know, Don, I want to, I know this is a great story and, and it was a real watershed moment for you, but um, tell us a little bit about your history as a golfer and, um, and your skills that you developed as a golfer um, and, and this experience, this, con again, a confusing experience that you had in recovery, involving your 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 impassioned, um, you know, pursuit of, of of this sport, you know, that you enjoyed and you excelled in, I might add, scratch golf for you. Anyway, take it away. Well, um, actually, I've always been kind of a hacker, um, to be honest with you, a weekend golfer, and. Um, um, I was given a golf membership as uh, uh, take, to take care of my mother. That was the trade-off. So that's a great thing. However, when you're an alcoholic, all you really want to do is drink and sit in your room so you don't really play golf. And when you get out on the golf course, you have fun because that's fun. But if you want to get good, you can't be drinking. I uh, met this gentleman on the driving range. He tried to tell me something was wrong with my swing. I didn't want to listen to him because if you go to a, any salesperson – if you walk onto a car lot, that salesperson is going to say, can I help you? And you're going to say, no, no, you don't want, but you really do want to buy a car. I really needed the help, but I said no. But then eventually I opened up to him a little bit. He asked me to play in a tournament and I blew it the very first day because I was an alcoholic and I was drinking and I tried to not drink that morning. 
And I had to shake so bad I couldn't play golf. That helped me and gave me a little bit of inner determination to try and get and quit because I had let this guy down. I'm letting my family down and other things. That's another story maybe. But he um, started to work with me a little bit, and I started to get a little bit better. And I realized if I get into the sand trap, I can get out of the sand trap because he's shown me the way. Once I've done it, I can do it. And life is the same way, I guess. So it really transmitted over to if, if I have a blowout on a tire, if I have to get the car smogged and it doesn't pass smog, those are all little things. Those are little small sand traps in life that he has helped me in my golf game to get better. And my life is paralleling almost in the same direction, all without alcohol. And the only reason I've gotten better at golf is because I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. However... Again, this was a watershed moment for you and your recovery because the fight and the devil was not done with you yet. You know, this experience, as, as you described it to me, was so embarrassing and shameful and frustrating <clears throat> that it moved you into anger. Remember, Don? You're angry. Remember? And it was the anger. Anger is one of the seven deadlies, man. And you were mired in it for some reason. You were stuck. Do you remember that moment? Describe it. Well, the one that I can remember the most vividly, and it happened immediately. Um, I hit a palm tree. The ball went in the sand trap. I'm about as PO'd as you could be on the golf course, but I'm not really saying anything because I'm pretty under control. I hit the ball out of the sand trap. I realize there's no rake. And as I look around, I think to myself, Ah, oh, screw it. I'm not going to rake the trap, right? Because there's no, no, if I go to the other side, I'm going to get hit by the golfers. As I walk out of the trap, this voice says, rake the freaking trap. It was, was a that, God moment. Was that, that was God. And I was okay. so mad. I love it. Okay, we're going to be right back with Don B. I'm telling you, life is like a golf game, man. You got to pay attention to that little white ball. Don't get distracted. Toby C, the fourth dimension, mashing out, uh, coming up. You're gonna, you're gonna want to stick around to hear this, this, this final moment with Don B talking about evil resistance during early recovery that so many of us experience. Toby C, fourth dimension, stand by. testimonies about the evil influences interfering in our most desperate and hopeful moments in life. Here's Toby. Golfer Don B. Mashing out a golf story Mm. that involved the devil. That involved anger, maybe. Uh, Disappointment, frustration, you know. Finish up your golfing experience, uh, you know, in early recovery, this, this, these bumps in the road and early recovery involving golf of all things. I just think that um, if you break it down, you've hit a good drive. You're out there cruising along pretty nice in a good pink cloud. And all of a sudden you top the next ball into the water. Okay. You're going to have a little bit of anger. It's going to happen. You get out there, you hit a red light. Somebody here rear ends you. Guess what? You're going to have a little bit of anger. 
when that guy said rake the trap to me, my anger went through the roof. And I hadn't been angry except maybe in the car for almost the entire 11 months that I've been here, I believe. I love it. And you know what? In, you just said about this moment in the sand trap and you heard this voice say, rake the trap. And uh, there was nobody around, okay? Now, the next day, you're playing golf, right? So describe what happened the next day um, when you ended up in the sand trap with these other golfers. Fortunately, there is a humorous part of that, which is they decided to put me with this guy named Bart Smith. I didn't know who he was, never met him. Turns out he's the neighbor of the guy who said that the day before. And so I'm sitting there in the sand trap, and I go to hit, and all of a sudden he says, rake the trap. And, oh, man, immediately my anger almost lost it again. He said I was with him yesterday. He goes, we watched you, and we heard you. Oh, so that wasn't God or your your conscience saying rake the trap. These guys were messing with you. And uh, interesting. These busybodies might be, they might be spying on you to see if you're raking up your... Uh, you know your 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 shots that end up in the beach, and, um, and making sure that you don't drive the cart onto the green, and that you are replacing your divots, and uh, and that you're standing behind the scrimmage line on the tee. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Don. What a that pissed you off though. It made you angry. Beyond beyond angry. Did you drink or use over that? No, I did not. But I had to make some big amends because the lady that I was playing with, with part of the other twosome, you just shouldn't go to pieces and say the things that I was saying about wrapping a club around that man's neck because <laughs> yeah. that's what I wanted to do. And I said it and it took me 10 holes to calm down. So I had to make a, a big amends to them. I saw them on the driving range the next day and to the man who said, rake the trap. I had to search him out and go apologize to him. There you go. It wasn't, fortunately, the devils kept telling me, do not talk to him. Go beat him up. And what, and what you were talking about, Don, is pride. Your pride was being affected at that moment, you know? Really, your feelings were getting hurt, for sure. Yes. You know, and, and again, once our feelings get hurt and we're moving into self-consciousness and... Um, and that was the deal, but you know, it wasn't over yet. You know, you had a little further to fall, and you know, you ended up here in the Palm Springs area. This is where we're recording this now. And you ended up in Palm Springs on another bender going down, and you had an epiphany. Something happened to you in the middle of the night that that rescued you from the grasp of the devil, something happened and describe to us what happened, Don. Uh, first, I did not want to come back to Palm Springs. And uh, when I was told that I had no choice, um, I said, screw it, then I'm going to come down here and I'm going to sit around the house and I'm going to get high and drink and watch the tube. Billy Joe and Bobby Sue right from the, from the song. And that's dang it what I did. I got here, and for the first year, I sat and I drank, and I didn't do anything else. I didn't play golf. I sat in my room, and I'm by myself, isolated, <clears throat> except to go to the store to get alcohol. Yeah, it was not a very pretty situation. What a lonely experience. 
What a lonely experience. Were you using two? I was using, yeah. Yeah. So there it is. Just you're alone. There it is. Uh, and then I, I had one particular day, uh, my mom came in out of the garage, and here she had this little brown bag in her hand. And sure enough, she had found my little stash spot. And the look on her face was, uh, that was pretty horrendous. So I realized that I had, not only had I fallen back to where I said I would never get to be, and I couldn't sleep that night. So there I am watching the TV, and this infomercial came on, and this guy says, da, 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 you know, if you're feeling this way, and it's Dr. Harry Hartanian, I can't think of his Hartudian, name. I think, yeah. And I, he says, call me. He goes, I can save your life. And, you know, they don't play that commercial anymore. Don't mm-hmm. Stopped after that. It was meant for me that Monday. I don't know. So I called up the next day, and sure enough, they called me back. I didn't even think they would call me back. I'll leave a message. Nobody will call me. They don't care about my life. But they did call back. And so I did get into the program there, and I put in a whole entire year. Um, but I still didn't get it quite. I still didn't quite have it completely. So even after a year, I, I slipped and fell again. Yeah, that's fine. It's it's progress, not perfection, right? Even Bill W., one of the founders of the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous movement, he didn't get it until his third try, you know. So, but how interesting though that um, that some some you know what others would view as as kind of a nuisance, cheesy, self promotional um, recovery commercial, and there's a lot of them here in the Southern California area, regionally and locally, that that it was meant for you. And there it is. You know, there's the takeaway how to really overcome the grasp of Satan is to become, as they say, as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as only the dying can be. And you are dying of shame. You fell so low to hurt your mother like that and, and to hurt yourself even further than you could have imagined. And you were so ready and you opened your mind, Don, didn't you? said. So- you opened your mind. You picked up that 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 fifty pound telephone man, or that handheld man. You said, you know, do it. And and you know, even if you even if your hands are shaking and you can't dial those numbers, you can certainly hit the button and nowadays and tell your smartphone to dial a number. And uh, you did. You reached out for you reached out for that straw. You know, what seemed like a flimsy reed when you were reaching up toward the surface. Turned out to be the hand of God, didn't it, Don? Yes, it did. And uh, wow. I mean, I just love it. Thank you so much for sharing your ghost stories with us today, Don. I mean, just God bless you. You know, it's progress, not perfection. And um, life is like a golf game. What do they say? Drive for show and putt for dough, baby. Work on that short game. Pay attention. Pay attention to the devil and, and stay close to God. By refusing to place God first, we deprived ourselves of his help. Amen. God bless. Thank you.